Hello and welcome to the Two Medics podcast. My name's Beth and John and I'm a GP trainee, ex-neurosurgery trainee and I'm actually all by myself today which feels really weird and I was going to say welcome to the Two Medics podcast. I can't remember if I did say that already but actually it's a one medic monologue. Uh, Therusha's having a busy week this week I promise he's not still locked in that toilet in the Ibis in Manchester and he'll be back super soon. But I won't be offended if anybody wants to check out now. I know it must be so disappointing that Thrusha's not here this week. So, yep, I will not be offended. I think even I will get annoyed listening to my own monologuing about various tweets this week. But I won't keep you too long if you do wish to, to stay anyway. I've never actually done this bit before. This is Therusha's responsibility and it's a big responsibility, but it's shout out to our sponsors. So absolutely a huge shout out to our sponsors. Um, that's S-C-R-B-S underscore UK, who put the U into scrubs. They make really wonderful scrubs. There's a new range out recently, which I think we've mentioned and some new colours as well. Best of all, they just feel absolutely lush and that's the main thing. They look great. Whichever sphere of healthcare you're in, they're a good bet. Definitely check them out. And if you use the Two Medics promo code, which is T-W-O-M-E-D-I-C-S-10, you'll get 10% off. And just a reminder to treat yourself. Where do we go or where do I go from here? It's a bit unusual having to do this by myself. Apologies if I start rambling and in true ADHD fashion end up having a complete mixture of topics. But I couldn't not mention how Andre Brower, Captain Holt from Brooklyn Nine, sadly passed away this week. So me and Therusha are huge Brooklyn Nine fans and seeing on Twitter as well, it seems a lot of you guys are as well. So incredibly sad to hear of his passing this week. But I did enjoy... There were lots of posts, favourite quotes from Captain Holt, favourite highlight reels and stuff, which was which is like really nice to reflect on and be reminded about. It was one of those things where you just forget sometimes, like some of the good things that he came out with. Uh, it's a, such an amazing show. We seem to be plugging shows on our, this podcast now. So yeah, if you're late to the Brooklyn Nine party, then you definitely need to check that out. There's this thread of the 50 best Raymond Hope quotes, and one of my favourites, because I feel like I just want to use this in work all the time. To no one in particular, I must state. But yeah, one of my favourite quotes by him is, the hospital called, your test results came back positive. You're a stage five dumbass. But yeah, I'm sure we all have people in mind who we could use that with. But yeah, that's such a sad story from this week. And I don't know how we can, or how I can follow that, but I guess we've been of late starting with some of the more medical type stuff and then breaking us all down and then ending with positive things but let's see how this is going to go this evening or this afternoon or this morning whatever time of the day you are listening so there's a good tweet by our friend Rosie Barua this week which I'm sure resonates with a lot of us and she said the more acutely young someone is the more straightforward the initial management decisions are someone who's a little bit of this and a little bit of that is actually more challenging than someone who's peri-arrest discuss Now, I totally felt that, and I've been reflecting recently, funnily enough, about how mentally fatiguing I'm finding doing kind of clinics in in primary care, and I'm really enjoying it, and it's weirdly, it's not the people that I find 
quite kind of fatiguing that are obviously sick and but you're getting things into place but it's the people that you're just not quite sure what's going on with them and there's something niggly or some sort of symptom or test results are not really showing anything conclusive and then that becomes a bit of an enigma and I find it quite challenging providing that reassurance and managing that uncertainty and trying to determine risk and stuff and I think that's just one of the many reasons why primary care has its challenges but it's the same in like a hospital setting as well isn't it I was thinking back to my neurosurgery reg on call shifts when metaphorical shit was hitting the fan sometimes literal shit did as well depending on the patients but when you sometimes when it's something serious and there's an algorithm and you all just you hear that can I get some help in here please and everyone just goes into this role so absolutely spot on and there was a couple of comments from people Jamie Sherrington summed it up well into from a GP point of view and said big sick that's easy you go to hospital little or not sick also easy you send them home but that teetering on the fence between big sick and little sick that's really hard and also a big challenge in primary care is sometimes knowing where to send these people and what services you can use and services get overwhelmed and disappear and uh, certain certain things like admission avoidance and stuff so it does become a bit of a minefield and it's often not in anyone's interest sometimes to just say oh just go to A&E sometimes we we do that but there's all those little details as well in terms of trying to get hold of a on-call reg or a specialty reg and figuring out where you can send them and so on but lots of people are making the same observations about finding general medicine harder than covering the crash brief for the same reasons and someone as well made another point about how minors is actually one of the more difficult places to work in in A&E and it made me think back to when I was a foundation doctor working in A&E and how I somehow felt more at ease in majors and felt a bit more like I was knowing what I was doing whereas for minors I just felt like a total bumbling idiot and would be asking for everything all the time for help and questioning things so yeah it's ironic isn't it because I think you know people who may be not in healthcare would say Obviously, the sickest people are the hardest to deal with, but yeah, definitely not the case. So I guess that's a stereotype that people think about medicine, that the sicker patients are harder to deal with. But other stereotypes exist, don't they, in terms of what do we wear as doctors? We all, I think, have in our minds sometimes of what certain specialties look like when they might come and grace us with their presence but I really liked a tweet by Rasheen this week who said that she walked into a doctor's office wearing a turtleneck and my favorite fun cardigan and you would not believe the speed someone handed me the notes for the one patient waiting for liaison psych review without her even saying one word as to who she was is this a career achievement I don't know I just I love that kudos to you Rasheen we should definitely be dressing how we want and if a turtleneck and a fun cardigan is what symbolizes psychiatrists now then I'm totally on board with that so I must say being back in GP it's obviously more than appropriate to wear scrubs in GP but having been in hospital rotations for the last year or so and wearing scrubs a lot of the time or that dreaded scrubs and chinos combination that some people hate but which I love it's been so nice to go back into GP and I've just decided that actually I'm not going to wear scrubs for a little while unless something's happening or COVID and respiratory infections are everywhere again now. So I might go back into scrubs to keep my nice dresses nice for a few months. But that it's been so nice just being able to express yourself in terms of just yeah wearing what you want. And I quite like that. And I guess, is it psychiatrists that they talk about like elbow patches and tweed jackets or have I just made that up from somewhere? But um, some of the admin staff in my surgery this week 
were said to me, oh, we were talking about you the other day. And I was like, okay, that's always an ominous way to start a conversation, isn't it? And uh, they were like, oh, no, no, we're just saying that, like, you're um, really, really like your dress sense and you've got, like, a really nice sense of style. And I was like, why does that comment mean more to me than any of the comments that were written on, like, my MSF this year? <laughs> but I don't know. I was just, like, it's proper, it's like a girl code thing, isn't it? Like, we pick each other up. It was such a nice thing to hear. And I saw a tweet as well. So it was by at Ellen Lowry, um, who... Uh, whose name is Ellen Roddy and she's a consultant and she said someone I've never met before told me in the staff car park this morning that they really like my trousers and honestly we should all be that person because I had a great day and yes I certainly think we need more of that like pick each other up it's just nice to have those comments isn't it and it's not it's just about our appearance or something that we're doing or something that we're saying but I don't know like we all need to hear good things every once in a while so yeah I think just yeah if you see anyone sporting that amazing turtleneck and fun cardigan combo tell them let them know definitely but on a less kind of happy note at the beginning of December so there was a people who rotate every four months rotated this past week or so and someone posted a, a photo maybe I think from their like a whiteboard from their ward which so in viewing this one photo was four paper signs stuck to the whiteboard three of which were very passive aggressive along the lines of doctors please do not exclamation mark and that was in capital letters obviously as if you couldn't tell by my tone of voice doctors please do not leave patients handovers in staff room this is confidential information doctors please put patients notes back in the trolley it's not the nurse's job to tidy up after you and then another one about notes and handovers then just if you didn't get that from the three notes so written in red pen in big letters there's also then the same thing put directly onto the whiteboard doctors please put medical notes back in the trolleys so something about medical notes i'm just guessing and who knows but then i do appreciate meg so there's another, this is the only laminated sign. So this is probably the one we should be listening to. Lovely little sign underneath all that garbage. Hello to new doctors. My name is Meg and I'm the discharge support assistant for the ward. We should have a discharge catch up for the discharge for the day. Thank you, Meg. That's just nice, isn't it? Yeah, be more Meg, maybe. A lot of, I don't know. I just imagine, imagine that you're rotating onto that ward and it's your first day and you go into the whatever that is like staff room or doctor's office or whatever you're just trying to introduce yourself to the team where can I put my bag blah blah and then you just get struck by these kind of four passive aggressive notes I think uh, it's probably not a good starting vibe to go on but then also doctors please tidy up after yourselves it's just yeah this whole hashtag one team thing again isn't it but yeah, and then so going on to something a bit more lighthearted, and AI is very topical at the moment, isn't it? There's a lot of talk about kind of people worried about AI taking over their jobs, especially in healthcare and stuff. And we mentioned it last week because there was a great talk by someone who's a data scientist or a healthcare data scientist in America, did a, did a talk at the DMAC conference, and it actually made me a bit more comfortable to know that my job is probably okay for a bit longer when it comes to AI. But Tom Dolphin actually used AI for what it really should be for at the moment. And that's just pure comedy purposes. So he said he asked ChatGP to come up with some mildly mocking terms to describe people who believe anesthesia is possible to achieve in humans. So we could say that these are code names for anesthetists, and I would totally go for these. And uh, the best three it offered him to that question posed were numbologists, slumber quacks, 
but my favorite nap wizards like who wouldn't want to be called a nap wizard so he said I quite like those and actually might try and get my NHS name badge updated which is yeah I definitely am on board with that I'm gonna try and ask something similar of chat GPT for general practitioners or GPs and she'll definitely report back but again talking about cool names for things there was a, a tweet by Anna Kate Barton this week who said patient asked if I was the manager doctor this evening and I just think that's exactly the medreg energy I was going for so yes petition to rename anesthetists to nap wizards and medreg to the manager doctor because we pretty much know that they run the joint don't they that's amazing and yeah so mentioning about AI and taking over doctors and being a bit more comfortable that job's probably okay for a couple of couple of years at least so there's talk about how AI or there was an AI machine that reckoned that AI might just do a better job at providing healthcare than most human doctors, because could you ever imagine a world where your doctor was always available, never gets tired or grumpy, has access to the latest medical research at their fingertips, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't know, so sometimes there's something about AI that like, we're in deep shit, man, if that becomes sentient, because as soon as it becomes sentient, I'm sure it's going to become tired or grumpy or even angry still. There was a post by at the House of Pod and he said, I've said before and I'll say it again, doctors have a little more time until AI AI takes over our gigs because people will hate how good computers are at medicine. Which I, And we mentioned last week about, I think the NHS has got some time on its hands. Like We really don't need to worry because you look at some of our computer systems and how long it takes to try and log on to a computer on wheels. Even just making sure it's got a keyboard attached to it is always a bonus. Yeah, when you think about that, it's, I'm not sure that our jobs are in any jeopardy anytime soon. But famous last words, you never know. And someone made a good point and said, computers can't intubate, yes. Anesthetists or nap wizards, I should say, you're currently safe. But where that's where GPs stand, I don't know. AI could formulate all the information and the data from patients and come up with differentials and stuff. But who's actually going to examine the patients? So I guess I've still got a job. Still use my stethoscope. Don't have to use that AI laser that reads heartbeats through the throats or anything. I'll just stick with me trusty stethoscope to start. And I guess what else would we do with GP? Oh yeah, who would write the expedite letters to us that the patients suddenly all want at the moment? But I guess AI could do that. What else could they do? You do the repeat prescriptions, but then I guess, how are they going to look at those nuances and intricacies of how many inhalers has this patient ordered, et cetera, et cetera? I don't know. I'm just trying to big myself up. I'm just thinking of what I did today and what AI could have, which jobs they could have taken from my day to day. And there are quite a few I'd be, I'd be happy to give up. But yeah, I think we're okay for a little bit, shall we say. But isn't it funny how sometimes, like, you can be, obviously, a doctor or you've gone to university for five or six years or however long and then you've postgrad you've been a doctor for so many years but despite all that some people in your family or your friends just don't see you as sometimes anything else than that goofy person or whoever that they've known since childhood and Drew wrote a post the other day that said I am a literal doctor that also has a first class honours degree in pharmacology and my husband still continues to buy branded medications like Panadol and Nurofen despite my very strong insistence that it's a waste of money so that's a good public service announcement anyway isn't it just buy the cheapest stuff like we we don't need this branded stuff but there was lots of I loved lots of people's replies saying along the same lines my family really don't trust me and 
at Gasling Sarah's was one of my favourites, who said, my sister, who's not a doctor, doesn't let me, a relatively senior anaesthetic trainee, give my four-year-old niece Calpol because it's safer if she does it. Now, I totally get that. And I always have this same argument with my mum. So I've been a doctor for 10 years, been medical, before, medical school before that for six years. So 15 years of some healthcare medical experience, you might say. And my mum will sometimes like drop into a conversation or she'll ask me a question about something about her medication or about some symptom or she'll just drop in that she's just decided to stop taking this medication that she's been on for years. And I'm just like, mum, like you can't do that or you should do this or you should see this person, blah, blah, blah. And then she always gives me this quite disapproving look as if to say, what do you know? And I'm like, mum, I'm a doctor. I don't mean this in a not bad way but you're asking me for some advice and I'm trying to reason with you or explain or whatever and she always comes back with the same thing that really grates on me because she thinks this trumps everything else and she always says Bethan no offense but I've been around on this earth a lot longer than you have but sometimes I'm like okay you've got a degree from the university of life that clearly trumps everything else but oh gosh I love her so much but we always have this argument because I'm just what does it mean it means nothing because just you're older so you know better but do you know what in those situations there's no point in even arguing now and as soon as a question comes up from someone who I know like my or someone in my family about something medically related I'm just like nope just please go and see your own GP because it's not worth us having this argument again but yes parents don't you just love them but yeah lots of other kind of weird shenanigans going on this week people saying Tories are not going to get in let's vote for Labour instead but actually that's becoming a bit of a shit show as well isn't it and not to get very political I don't know we can't really avoid being political but like from how things have been over the past past months and, and longer, I genuinely can't see how even voting for Labour is is like a sensible and decent vote. And I know it's certainly something that I won't be able to to do the next general election. But there was a lovely, and that's meant in the most sarcastic way possible. There was a lovely comment and article about Wes Streeting this week, who decided to say that the NHS uses every winter crisis as an excuse for more cash. And I'm pretty speechless at that because, yeah, of course, winter pressures, shits and giggles, man, best time of the year, let's just get more money. As if. Yeah, there was lots of comments about this, lots of uproar about this, because that's just for a shadow health secretary. That's a really worrying, short-sighted comment to make and way to go to show yourself that you have no concept of what the NHS and its workforce are dealing with at the moment. I'm not going to comment any more on that apart from saying WTF. And uh, yeah, poor form, isn't it? Like really poor form. But it was it was funny because his article essentially made some sort of reference about the NHS needs a bit of tough love. And uh, Ivy Meissen, Ivy said, this just reminds me of the time a department that she worked in decided to tough love all the SHOs and they all just quit. So yeah, that's the other option, isn't it? We just vote with our feet and, and, and off we go. So yeah, poor form from our shadow government. There really is no best of the bad bunch anymore, I'm afraid. And talking about being political as well, I'm just debating whether... I should bring up some of the stuff that I'm sure we've all seen on Twitter this week about about PAs. And I know we always go on about this, but I do worry about some of the genuine concerns about 
the PA profession and the training and the apprenticeship into medicine that people have been talking about this week, I do worry that when it gets personal and abusive and name calling and stuff on Twitter about PAs, that we just lose our very valuable or sincere concerns that we actually have and it's not about against specific people per se but just about the what is the scope of practice and we're still waiting for that to be defined and who's going to regulate and so on so I do worry that we are we lose sight of that argument when it becomes a bit like a slanging match so there was um, a video kind of circling around this week I think that was like a clip from a channel 5 show called casualty 24 7 and um, I'm not going to go into the specifics but essentially there was um, the clips that were circulating on Twitter were of um, I think a newly qualified PA who was managing someone in recess and um, I think you know the edited footage showed some snippets of a medical history and People were criticising, or was, is this patient, person got heart failure and you're giving fluids? Are you not worried about a DVT? And I think Duncan McGregor summed it up very well and insinuated that, yes, this is actually edited footage and limited information. And we can't take everything, all the details about the clinical picture are, are not there. That's, that's really not enough to pass judgment on the clinical assessment that we you know we've seen in, in, on this TV show, essentially reality TV show. And that's probably not the point. Like the point probably is, and I'm paraphrasing here extending from what Duncan said there are issues in the video such as a newly qualified PAs seemingly looks to be managing patients in recess by herself or relatively independently like that's more of a concern rather than the details of a case that we don't know the full details of but there was lots of lots and lots of quote tweets about that video and the person and some of the phrasing that the, the person ch- like chose to use in that video. And there was something, some phrasing about how they're trained or we work just like doctors. And then obviously people had a lot of bones to pick with that phrase and understandably. But it's hard to know when this thing is like getting out of hand and when it turns into like personal attacks rather than just like genuine concerns about the profession and about, again, the scope and the regulations. Yeah, it's always a, a tricky area and quite unpleasant to to see sometimes. And I think it's sometimes good to remember that they're, I'm not going to say be kind, even though I've just said it. But no, what I mean is it is sometimes important to remember that there is a person on the other end of that. And we all are guilty of saying some things that may not look or sound so good and then they get put onto television and then it's immortalized forevermore but yeah just remembering that there is someone at the end of that is sometimes important and it took it reminded me of a time when I was a neurosurgery reg and there was a show on BBC2 that was a sounds like a similar kind of thing to this show on Channel 5 and it was called Hospital and they did a couple of series around the UK and a couple of years ago they were in Liverpool and they did I think they were filming, yeah, across kind of Aintree and some of the other Liverpool hospitals. And they also filmed some of the stuff where I was working as a neurosurgery reg. And some of the production people asked if they could shadow me on a night shift as an encore reg night shift. And I was like, sure, okay. And the thing is, it could be an extremely boring shift, just full of referrals. And then essentially what you're shadowing is just someone on a computer typing furiously and looking at scans um, and a bleep going off incessantly. Or sometimes, you know, it could be more interesting and surgery and whether you know that kind of stuff so luckily the footage didn't really make it to any sort of editing process because it was you know it was an interesting shift and they were there when we you know got to there was a couple of trauma patients that we had to go across and see an ITU and do a couple of procedures on and and so on but I was mic'd up at the time and 
when you're in the middle of doing something, you forget that there might be there's a camera and they weren't always in your face, but they were just hanging around on the unit and stuff. And I just totally forgot that I was mic'd up and things and said, oh, I'm just going to nip to the loo. And then just was still mic'd up and my mic was on and I sat down, did my kind of long wee as you do on a night shift when you forget to have a wee. So it turns into a massive horse wee, doesn't it? And emerged from the toilet. And they were just looking at me and they were like, oh, we just heard all that. I was like, oh my gosh, thank God I didn't do anything else. But maybe that would have made good telly, who knows? But yeah, the, the glamour of, of these things is not when, yeah, this this poor girl, this PA was definitely vilified. And I think the other thing worth mentioning, because I don't want people to think that we're not like invested in these kind of concerns and topics, because we certainly do share a lot of the concerns as well. And I know Therusha does as well. And it's more to do with the wider kind of implication of PAs and doctors training numbers and stuff. But there was, there was some... A kind of quite an Ill, poorly timed thread from the NHS England workforce training and education account, which I have to say I didn't really know was in existence because it's quite a niche account. But yeah, quite a poorly timed thread about Professor Sir Sam Everington sharing their thoughts on the process towards the regulation of physician and, and anaesthetic uh, associates. So I'm not going to go into the thread, you'll be able to find it for yourself, but again, generated a lot of annoyance and upset and quote tweets, particularly into kind of one element. And one of the elements was about tackling the crisis in GP numbers. And to do that, they were establishing a pathway for physician associates to go on to train as doctors and for newly qualified doctors to go straight into five years training as GPs. Now, there are doctors who, for whatever reason, haven't got, won't get into training programs and stuff. Who would, I think, genuinely, like, want to train as GPs? The, the crisis in GP numbers, it's, we are losing GPs retiring or moving abroad or whatever than a faster rate than we're replacing them. But I'm not sure that kind of insinuating that PAs are going to save the world here is, is the right tack to go down when there are definitely avenues for doctors to work in primary care as well. And I don't mean by forcing them to do so, but making it more accessible because at the moment, like a, a junior doctor can't really, they can't locum in, in GP. A GP registrar, someone who's prior to CCT can't even locum in GP. And if you have GP experience, I think I'd argue that there should be some capability for junior doctors who want to do that to be able to work in GP. But at the moment, it's just there is no framework that allows that to happen and it just doesn't happen. So to say we're going to establish a pathway for to, to go on and train as doctors, then that's just... I don't know, that just feels a bit of a kick in the teeth. And there was quite a lot of kind of comments about not all PAs want to be doctors, fair enough. But this is the post that really struck me the most, actually. And I was probably didn't realise this until I saw quite a few people post about it. And this comes from like advanced paramedics and AMPs and ACPs who are saying, you know, some of us have got lots of experience. So one one particular example is a tweet from Liz Midwinter, who said, as an ACP with over 15 years experience, a qualified nurse practitioner with independent prescriber with a master's in emergency medicine, if she wants to be a doctor, she says, I have to go to medical school. So why is this same standard not being applied for all? Why if physician associates being singled out as a way to fast track to medicine, which again is an issue in itself. When you have people like this very qualified, like 
very highly qualified senior advanced clinical practitioner who would just have to go to medical school like everyone else. And people were saying there is a fast track and there is a fast track training route into being a doctor. It already exists. That's graduate entry medicines. Yeah, I think lots of thoughts and lots of kind of annoyance rightly generated from that very poorly timed thread. And it's probably a good time to maybe move on from PAs again because I'm not it's I don't it's it is it's a very important topic and it is generating a lot of concern and discussion at the moment and I think it is very important to mention it um but also I don't want this episode to be solely about that either I'll will take you on a journey into my ADHD mind as we flit from that thought to many other thoughts so yeah apologies if you guys have lost track already because I know I certainly have and I'm very much just making this up as I go along but moving on from the less medical stuff because yeah we get enough of that stuff every day don't we there was a tweet from Dr. Sathina Watson this this week, who is a doctor, but this is a non-medical tweet. So her an- handle is at more fluids. And she said, what are the phrases people say that really get your goat? So for her, the phrases that she particularly finds grating are, I believe you, but thousands wouldn't. And also it is what it is. Now, I am so guilty of saying <laughs> all the time it is what it is and it's basically because I just never have the vocabulary to describe how I feel or describe my upset or annoyance as what's going on and so to somehow quieten the rage when I feel that I'm like it is what it is but yeah you're a good that's a good point because that is bloody annoying and now I'm annoyed at myself that I say it so much but I don't know if you guys have any particular phrases that you say all the time that or that other people say all the time that annoy you. Because I think sometimes we don't have insight into the things that we say. And it's someone, often someone else calling us out that says, oh, you say that all the time. That's so annoying. But one thing I do know that I say all the time is, does that make sense? And I don't know why I say that, because it's not as if I'm speaking in some tongues or whatever. Like when I say something, it genuinely is in just a normal sentence format. But I always have to say, oh, does that make, if that makes sense, or does that make sense? And I sometimes hear myself saying it, and it comes out of my mouth before those synapses have actually registered that I'm about to say it. So it really annoys me. And the other thing that I know I say, and I didn't realize it was as annoying as it is that when you say something to someone or you ask something of someone or suggest something to someone and you follow that up with oh but no worries if not or no pressure if not no worries if not I used to think that maybe that was perhaps endearing and in my very neurodivergent like brain for me it's said as a way of oh I don't want anyone to feel pressured or guilted into doing something with me or doing something for me so I just want them to know that they've got a get out clause but I'm not sure if neurotypicals think like that it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts actually if that's like an annoying thing that other people say or whether yeah I don't know but sometimes I hear myself saying and I do just want to give myself a slap but that's quite a regular thought I have about myself anyway another thing she said that really gets her goat is saying oh x number of sleeps till whatever totally get that one that reminds me of something when people call oh it's so many sleeps till holidays but they don't say holidays they say holly bobs I hate holly bobs like I just oh, I don't know it just really grates on me and I can feel myself coming out in some sort of hive rash whilst I said that holly bobs word 
Oh, Therusha actually commented on this one. So we can pretend that we have a bit of Therusha with us. So for him, he said, not being funny, but that's, yeah, I definitely on board with that one. That's that's very annoying. Oh, actually, I do hate it when people start a sentence with, at the end of the day, I don't know why that annoys me so much. Oh my God, this is becoming like a therapy session. <laughs> I'm purging all this annoyance. Oh, and this is a good one from Therusha playing devil's advocate we see that on social media so much don't we and it's often said in a way to veil that actually they've got shitty views so they're going to say i'm just playing devil's advocate but we see through it my friends we see through it so sorry if you are one of those people that says something to me and my face just cannot hide how annoyed i am but yeah Oh, I like this one this week because I don't know, sometimes you see these things on Twitter that just really resonate with you or it's a thought that you have and you didn't realise it was such like a widely held view. But this one was from last night who said, people who can just sit at home chilling in jeans unnerve me. Why are you in denim under a blankie on the sofa? Why aren't you in sweats or jimmy jams like a normal person? Get cosy, silly goose. You deserve to be cosy. And I say that as I am sitting in striped pyjama bottoms and my massive oversized fleece Costco hoodie that is the epitome of comfort and of course it's not something that I'd wear outdoors but yeah even like sitting at home in a bra is uncomfortable and I can't imagine sitting in jeans at home like say on the sofa someone there referred to jeans as fabric prison which I definitely related to but that's just all the extra Christmas pounds that I'm putting on as well to be fair but yeah suspicious vibes about people who think jeans are are generally relaxed like loungewear you need to need to try some comfies man get those jogging bottoms on absolutely your life will be transformed whip that bra off jogging bottoms on hot water bottle or heated throw if you're Liam Barker who should be on commission for those things by the way it's the way forward and what about (laughs) <laughs> I don't want to be mean to men because Therusha's not here to defend the man people. But what about this quote from this week that said, apparently 50% of men surveyed believe they could land a commercial aircraft in an emergency. And someone commented and said, actually, this is quite, knowing this is quite helpful in terms of allowing me to understand a lot of the emails that they get at work from men. So it's quite a big claim to make, isn't it? And I think, yeah, you may you might have played airplane simulator on your old PC, Packet Bell or whatever. Not sure that constitutes as genuine experience. But yeah, half of all men thinking that they could land a commercial aircraft like a jet in an emergency without any prior experience. And wasn't there in the last couple of years, it was a similar quote about how a, it's quite a significant percentage of men generally thought that they could fight a bear off if they if the need to if the need arise arose. I don't know. I know. I hope that doesn't. That hope that need doesn't arise for many people out there. But yeah, I don't know. Like I do admire that confidence, and sometimes think I wish I had a little bit more of that. But yeah, I think I'm quite happy to admit that I couldn't fight a bear nor land a commercial jet in an emergency nor fight a bear on a jet but yeah if that's your bag and you think you've got it kudos I just hope you never have to prove it in person and yeah if you're still listening this far bless you sorry for wasting 40 minutes of your life but thank you for sticking with me so at this point in time we are 11 
days away from Christmas. It's scary how quick it's creeping up on us. But yeah, I saw some tweets this week about what songs, what favourite Christmas songs do you have? What's on your Christmas playlist? I don't know if anyone's still in Whamageddon this year, but we had a kind of Christmas-themed GP teaching, regional GP teaching last week. And I'm sure you all know like Whamageddon is where you try and avoid hearing Wham last Christmas throughout the month of December. And as soon as you're as soon as you hear it against your will, so to speak, you're then out of the game. We had this GP, I'm, I wasn't playing, I was like out on the 1st of December, but it was in the GP regional teaching, one of the tutors said, we're going to do a music intro round and guess the song from the in, from the Christmas song intro. And the first song she played was Wham! Last Christmas. And you could just hear this groan of going, oh no! So that I thought that was really cunning, actually. I thought that was quite hilarious. But uh, yeah, it just it made me think like there's a lot of Christmas songs that I just totally forgot and I totally love. I love A Spaceman Came Traveling. Love that one. And The Power of Love as well, which you always forget is not a traditional Christmas song, but definitely is a Christmas song. I also love Stop the Cavalry, Jonah Louie. And when that was on the intro quiz game I literally heard that like trumpet that split millisecond and got it straight away and people were like you're weird which is a very fair observation to make but yeah some I need to start listening to the Christmas playlists actually because there is a time when it can be too early but we're less than within we're in the couple we're in the run-up we're definitely in the run-up to Christmas now so yeah it's a goer but yeah share some of your favorite Christmas songs with me I'd actually I'd love to make my own little playlist oh I do that play that co-play one actually and last week I was moaning that I was in like the top 10% of Coldplay fans on Spotify. But I actually do love that, the Coldplay Christmas song. So yeah, maybe I should just start owning that I do Coldplay. I can't deny that anymore. And then, yeah, I'm in the work Secret Santa this year. And it's quite nice that they've involved me in that because I've only started at this practice six weeks ago. And it got difficult when I started to get to know who people were. And then I pulled the name out of the hat and it was for someone who I really didn't know. And so that's something that I've got to sort out by next week and I'm trying to think of what a good like generic present is for a lady who I know nothing about and so I'm gonna have a bit of a google and troll for that and one of my colleagues for a different colleague last year who was in a similar position said that they bought this colleague that they didn't know what to get like a 10 pound Greg's gift card which I thought was a really good idea and I was like oh that's amazing and then everyone else in the office was like no that is a massive letdown so I thought, oh, sugar, because I was going to actually do that after I heard that idea. But maybe I could way, find a way to jazz it up. I don't know. But yeah, I was talking to some friends and one of my friends said that the worst secret Santa she's ever had when she was uh, did a work secret Santa was a, a Cliff Richard calendar. And I de- yeah, it's pretty hard to beat that, I think. So as long as I don't go for the Cliff Richard calendar, then I think it's automatically onto a winner but yeah one one last tweet that I wanted to mention because I don't think this is NHS related it is Christmas related and it could certainly be NHS related but this was a quote tweet so Kate Jarman quoted the original tweet and the original tweet was by at Amanda J Panda and she said my work is doing a potato bar as our Christmas bonus I'm literally getting a hospital potato as a bonus They also said it has a $15 value, so it will be taxed on our next paycheck. Does anyone need an assistant so I can just quit right now? I shouldn't be laughing at that because it's just so bloody insulting. But 
There you go. So the NHS had its tea bags. Was that for Christmas or was it like a thank you gift for COVID? But do you remember when there was that post going around where it was like an individual tea bag in a little folded paper envelope thing? So what would you rather, an individual NHS tea bag or a hospital potato that apparently has a value of $15? So it's tax deductible. Who knew? But Kate said, as she always has got gems of quote tweets, the NHS should rapidly adopt innovation from other countries, like giving out a single potato to every member of staff to show how appreciated and valued they are. No one wants boring money bonus or an extra day off. We just want potatoes. And yeah, carbs, isn't it? We just love carbs. Yeah, sack off those cash bonuses and fill your stockings with potatoes, guys. That's the way forward. But no, I just, it's something that the NHS would do, I feel. So maybe let's not give them too many ideas because before you know it, that'll be the next, that'll be the next viral thing going around med Twitter that will unite us all, I'm sure. But yeah, I think it's probably good to end it there. I'm just looking at the time. It's over 45 minutes. I hope, Sarusha's going to edit this, I think, because I have no idea of that side of things. Who knows if this is even recorded? I hope it has, because I don't know if I can even remember what to do to record it again. If you're here, thanks for staying with me. If you're not, you've really not missed out anything and hopefully normal service shall resume soon. But thanks for listening. If you are, really hope you have a wonderful week. It's Christmas soon. We will hopefully touch base with you all again before Christmas. But yeah, please look after yourselves. Take care and have a good one. Thanks for listening. Bye now. 